Uh, we've been in Acts since we were in another building. So I will, at the end of this, add up how many sermons it was, and maybe I'll enter that into the Guinness Book of World Records. But uh, if you open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter um, 20, and uh, we'll be in uh, verses uh, tw- 1 through 12 this morning. And um, so as we're getting to that this, this morning, let me open my own Bible so that we're all on the same page. But uh, let me ask you a question straight out of the gate, and I, I like to prime your, your thoughts before um, we get to the exposition, which is this, like, how are things going? And uh, that question at any point in time in your life, you know, could be answered uh, a lot of different ways, and usually we're some kind of mixed bag of things are going mostly okay, but there's like this one thing that's really a problem, or maybe things are all falling apart, and there's only one small thing that, that isn't falling apart or something like that. And, and so that's kind of how it is. But if I asked if, if things are going well or whether they're not going well, how much of that are you processing through the, um, the filter of your faith, right? Like, like when, you, when you're assessing things that are going on in your life and you're, you're looking at the people that you're gathered with right now. So when I, when I say your faith, um, you're usually not um, running the things that are going well through that filter for whatever reason because you don't feel like you need help. You feel like everything's going well. I've got this well-oiled machine over here, and that's going fine. But this other thing is falling apart. And, and uh, I, I know that I can't control that thing. And so then you begin to go through that process of thinking through, well, maybe God could help with this. And so then you start running it through the filter of faith. Well, that shouldn't be the way that it is, but it, it, is, it is too often the way it is for us. Well, um, if, if I was going to pose this question for you, and I said, well, take that either one thing, that one big thing that seems to be a real problem that's like really falling apart, or maybe your whole life that is falling apart right now, or just feels that way. And I say, what do you need? What would solve that problem for you besides the fact of it just being removed? Like, okay, so if, if, I, if I was to pull like the, the things that you're investing your time in and the people you're investing your time in and the way that you're investing your, your, life, your life, like your, your thoughts and your heart and your emotions and your resources into faith. And, and I said, what about that aspect of your life could help to like solve that problem? And most of you go, well, I don't think, I, I, I can think of very many things other than the fact that I just don't want this thing to be happening or all of these things to be happening. If things are bad, we don't often think that there's much that can be done about it from the people that are around us. And would it help you at all if I just said, hey, you know, and I gave you that proverbial, like, there's other fish in the sea kind of adage to try and encourage you. In the moment where, like, your, your life's falling apart and things are rough and, and, stuff's, and stuff's wrong and raw and bad, and I said, don't worry, in a month it won't seem like that big a deal. Would that help you in this moment? Would that solve this issue for you? Go ahead, talk back. No, of course not, right? But this is how we, we treat our lives, and this is how we treat the church, and this is how we treat faith. And so this morning, um, I, I am going to, it's going to feel like I, I purposely put this message here because of sort of the, the morning that we've had where there's other things that are preventing people from being here this morning. And so it just so happens that this is the, the message that's here this morning. But I, I want to... Turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 10 before we get to um, the rest of the word this morning. So Hebrews 10, you're going to be familiar with this passage, but it says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I said, it's going to feel like I put this in here because here we are, and, and here's, here's, a, here's a passage about not neglecting getting together. And if you look around this morning, some people have neglected to gather with us this morning. And so it's not really about a guilt trip. Like, that's not my intention this morning. So I'm a little bit afraid that if I plan a message about somebody dying, that's going to happen just so God proves the point. But like, okay, so, so it happens today, though. But he's revived, so, so there's the... Anyway, all right, so that's just for me. So I want to point out a couple things here. It's just, let us consider. And so the idea here is this, like, put your mind to this idea. He, he's saying, you know, you, you've got a lot of thoughts about what might be the right way to get somebody through some hard time. Like, hey, you know, it's going to be better tomorrow. Is that, is that really putting your thoughts toward how to stir one another forward on through the march of life when things are falling apart? Absolutely not. In fact, he's pointing us to the thing that actually will do it, and then he's pointing to the problem in the middle there, which is this. He says, we should consider what we might do so that we can help one another along in this journey. It's not just you against the world, and it's not just me against the world. It's us together with the help of the Lord Jesus and his spirit against all that we experience in life, right? And he says, we, we get this encouragement when we gather together as the body of believers. But there's a problem, and it's neglect. Right there, neglect. Now, I think this, this particular passage is, it doesn't land with quite the weight that it ought to. And I think it, it partially comes from that word neglect. Because for us, neglect has sort of this range of meaning. And it can mean anything from like, I overlooked something that was rather innocuous, right? Like, you know, I forgot to, uh, I don't know. Something innocuous. It's so innocuous I can't even think of an example, right? So, so <laughs> I neglected to take the trash out this week. Thank you, right? That, that does not, does not hurt anybody, and, and, that, and that sort of pushes the onus off to, to really no one's fault. But um, neglect here really is uh, an important word, and this is the only time it's translated as this. Every other time this Greek word appears in the New Testament, it always means to forsake, which carries a little different weight, doesn't it? To forsake is to choose to do something that you know you're obligated to do. It's not, it's not about the choice of not doing something. It's you should have done something and you chose not to. And that changes the stakes a little bit. Because if I said, guess what? You're actually kind of obligated as your identity and, and who you are to gather with other people, to have communion with them. And if you choose to forsake that, it's not like, whoops, I overlooked it. It's like you've chosen to do that. At, at the, the cost of many things, not just your own benefit, but the benefit of others. And so forsaking something is important. In fact, I'm going to use a word that's more precise, that it falls out of use, but it actually conveys the meaning better, and it's derelict, or to, to derelict your duty, right? It, has, it carries with the idea of, of duty, but you've chosen not to, to do that. And so I think that's an important aspect of this. So you're neglecting a duty that is yours, but um, we're told that we should instead look towards the encouragement. And then I want to point out two things. Why? So that we can, we can encourage one another. And that word encourage is not the word to, to just mean to give you an attaboy, to try and like, you know, that, that little nudge of, of a verbal, it'll be better tomorrow. That's not what this is talking about. And so where we're at in Acts today, talks about how the body works together as the members to encourage one another forward in this. And he says there's, there's something important 
at play here, and he says the day. If you notice, it's capitalized, the day. That's referring to the day of the Lord. So we're prone to think that our participation or our neglect with this communion and encouraging one another is it really only hurts me. That's what we tell ourselves. If I choose to neglect the gathering, then um, it's really only hurting me. Now, let me put that same idea in a different scenario, and then we ask, is it only the person that chooses not to gather that's really being hurt? Suppose a father abandons or forsakes his duty as the father. And so all the family gets together to have dinner, but the, the father has chosen to uh, forsake his duty, and he spent the grocery money gambling or, or, or drinking. And, and so there's actually no groceries to, to fill the table, and he decides not to attend family dinner. And so everybody at the table is left there waiting, and there's a hole missing, right? There's a, there's a problem within that communion. So it's not just the person that chooses not to partake in the communion. It's, it's everybody that suffers, and that's uh, unfortunately something that we overlook. And when it's talking about us looking forward to the day, and that being sort of the impetus for us to, to hold fast to this, he's talking about the day of the Lord. So let me read to you out of 1 Corinthians 3.13. Now, Paul's talking here in Corinthians about how we're put together as the body, and then what we're go- what's going to be um, judged, if you will, or, or how we'll be held accountable for what we do with this. So in 1 Corinthians 3, he says this, By the grace of God, um, he's given to me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. So he's talking about how he's built the church, and someone else is building on it. That someone else, in this case, is Apollos. But each one must be careful how he builds, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid. That's Christ. So if you're going to be building the house of your life, if you're going to be building the house of faith, it's laid, first of all, on Christ. And then if anyone builds on that foundation using gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be disclosed. It'll be revealed when the day comes. That's, that's that word there. When the day comes, it will disclose it, and it will be revealed by fire. And it says, if you've built with things that are worthless, wood, hay, straw, those things will be burned up, but only the precious things, only the good things will last. And so he says, we're actually going to be held accountable for the way that we've approached what we've been given, which is the communion, which is the body of Christ. And so what you should know about this um, Hebrews passage, if you were to just um, be reading the whole chapter, he's talking about... Um, Christ as our high priest, that there's a new temple, a new way to enter that temple, and he's using all the imagery of the Old Testament temple and the sacrifices. And then he says, and because of Jesus, because he's opened a new and living way, we have confidence to draw near. So we should take advantage to that. And he says we have the, the confidence to enter the holy places. And it's not talking about the holy place in the temple. It's talking about what we do here as the temple of God. So it's bringing this whole thing full circle here So the progression of the logic, follow me all together, this is the preamble, something like this. The Holy Spirit calls us in, and he he baptizes and places us into the body of Christ, and he dwells within our communion. He dwells within us individually, but within this body, here he is, and he's dwelling in this temple that God has put together. And that temple is called the church, and the church is called Christ's body. And this metaphor of the body keeps coming up over and over again, throughout Scripture, because it points us to the reality that we're not independent of one another. In fact, we are dependent on one another, and we're dependent on Christ. Christ is the head of the body, and the body is the church, and we belong to the body. And so we look to Christ, to the head, but then we also, we're told, belong to one another in that belonging. 
And so we think of this as, well, yeah, Christ is my head, and he's the head of my body. But the individual truth is only true because the corporate truth is true. No, he's the head of all of the church. And if you belong to the church, then he's your head. And if you belong to the body, then you're a member of the body, but you're not a member independent of all the rest of the members. So we're actually interdependent. And so we kind of take this as a, well, I can have as much of that or as little as that as I want. And what we're being pointed to here is, no, if you choose not to partake in that, you're forsaking it, you're not overlooking it. Are you tracking with this? So we're looking today at this truth. We should put our minds on how can we do this better? What are we actually called to so that we can encourage one another towards the goal? So this is not about guilting you. This message was here before the Arctic cold or whatever came in this week, right? Okay? So it's not about guilting you. It's about building you up towards what's good and true. Okay? And if people didn't attend today, that's okay. They can feel guilty at home. All right? Last night, two teams played in negative 20 degree temperatures, a sport that, I mean, who's going to remember it next year, that game? Maybe not. Maybe in a few years they'll remember that it was like the coldest football game ever. You say, yeah, but those guys got paid millions of dollars to show up. And I said, yeah, but the fans didn't. The fans showed up. Can you believe that? Now, it may say something about their intelligence, but overall, we have a lot of, we, we, we allow a lot of things to get in the way, and we, we blame those as the reason for our neglect, when the truth is we don't value what we've been given. So let me pray for our time in the Word this morning, and then we'll see what the Lord would teach. Father, I, I do thank you for the communion that you give us, that those that are gathered are, are here, and um, we're just so blessed to belong to you and belong to one another. And so I just pray that you would use this Word in this time to encourage us towards one another and towards you, that you might build us up into this family of faith. Speak now by your word. Speak truth to us. Open our ears and our eyes to behold you and uh, plant this in our hearts so that we can become more and more a blessing to others. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to spend a whole ton of time this morning trying to remind you where we're at in Acts 20 because uh, I just don't have a, a lot of time. And I'm warning you out of the gate that there's somebody that dies and they're resurrected. And I'm not really going to talk about that aspect of it so much, but I will next week. So there's, there's your teaser. There's your, your cliffhanger, if you will. Um, so in Acts chapter 20, what's just happened is Paul has been in Ephesus uh, and it's been the longest mi ministry of his career. He's actually gotten to stay somewhere for a long time before things fall apart. Usually he gets into town and things are already falling apart. But he gets there, he gets to stay for something like three years until it falls apart. And it falls apart because of the massive effect the church is having on the economy. People have stopped worshiping idols. They're burning magic books and there becomes a riot. And something like upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people have filed into this stadium and they want to they, they have their way with Paul and all of those who follow the way. And so this is following the riot in Ephesus. So here we are in Acts chapter 20, and let's pick it up. So that's the uproar that's being discussed here. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. He, he calls the church together, and after encouraging them, there's that word again. After he encourages them, he said farewell. He didn't say see you later. This is a goodbye for all time. This is the end of Paul's missionary journey, and there's going to be a transition now in what happens. We'll talk more about that next week. So he says farewell, and he departed from Macedonia. 
Then when he had gone through those regions and had given them, that would be more disciples, much what? Encouragement. This is the goal of Paul now, to give encouragement. He came to Greece, and there he spent three months when a plot was made against him by the Jews. As he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So, so here's what's going to happen. He, he, he gets to Macedonia, he encourages the believers there. He stays there for a good three months, and then he finds out that there's a plan to kill him. He's going to head back home by way of sea travel, and he finds out that there's a plot to kill him, and he decides not to get on the boat, and he says, never mind, I'll go back home through by way of Macedonia. Now, I didn't want you to get lost in the geography, so geography, so I didn't pull out a map, but just know that's, that's what's happened there. And, and then as he's doing that, he begins to pick up some new companions along this journey. So we get some names here and some places. So Peter, the Berean, right? You remember Berea? He, he went to Berea and there was believers there and he, he formed a church there where he picks up this guy there and he was a comp- and who came and accompanied him. Then of the Thessalonians, that's another place of Thessalonica, Aristarchus and Segundus. And then Gaius of a new place, Derby, and also Timothy. And of Asia, or the Asians, was Tychicus and Trophimus. Fun names all throughout, but you get all these places. And as Paul's traveling back through the places he's already visited and, and had his missionary journey, he's picking up new companions along the way as he's encouraging the disciples. So these went on ahead. So he sends all the companions up ahead of him to Troas, and he decides that he's going to meet them there. And then it says, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now, that last little leg of the journey only took two days on the way there. And now it takes five days. So, so Paul's run into some, like, some problems. Either there was like headwinds in, on a ship or some kind of dangers on the journey. And what we don't get in this little uh, travel itinerary from Luke is all of the in-between things that's happening. And Paul's becoming very active with his pen, and he's beginning to write to these churches. And this, this is where he pens the letter to the Corinthians. So we get 1 Corinthians in here, and he actually writes the Romans. So he's going to write Romans on this journey. And then he's going to write a second letter to the Corinthians. So what you need to see here is this. Paul's goal right now is to encourage the believers as he's traveling back towards his end goal, which is Syria, Antioch and Syria. And his life is not pizza party and tropical holidays. It's filled with goodbyes. And this isn't like goodbyes as like the greatest hits and everybody's celebrating Paul. He's going and as soon as he gets to a place that he's been before, they recall and there's a plot that's hatched against him by the Jews to kill him. So this is not good news, right? So Paul is amongst um, problems at the same time that he's trying to fulfill his duty to encourage other believers. So we have two wrong ideas about encouragement, okay? Two wrong ideas. The first is this. I need to be in a stronger, better, or more stable place to encourage other people. Like, I need to be in the position where there's nothing going wrong in my life. Otherwise, I can't help anyone. And so we spend all of our time fixated on ourselves, trying to get to a state of perfection before we ever turn our attention to someone else. But I want you to see that amidst the problems that are popping up and cropping up on Paul's journey, he's not thinking that way. He doesn't say, I have to get all the problems out of my life before I can help anybody else. And second to that, and sort of along the same lines, is that to be stronger or better or more stable or get to that place where I don't have some problem that's weighing me down, I have to focus more on me. I need me time. And once I figure out me, then I can turn my attention to other people. And so what we constantly do is look at our own lives and look at all of our problems and elevate those 
And then we do that to the ignorance of everybody else in the, the world. I, I don't have to uh, quote any statistics because we all know anecdotally that since social media was introduced, something like 20, we've had social media for 20 years. Isn't that crazy? You guys are old. So social media has not helped, helped us become more connected. It's isolated us. And added to that, the fact that we don't look to other people to find new connections. We look to compare our lives to other people. So it's done the exact opposite of what it purported to do. Instead, we, we live in these silos and we try to build a facade around to tell everybody that our life is not truly as bad as their, theirs probably is. But all of us are really in the same boat. And so we put out this stupid fake persona out there. And while we focus on me to the detriment of other people and think that I will finally help other people once I arrive in nirvana, we never get there. So this idea of focusing more on ourselves will not fix you. The answer is not in you, and the answer is not figuring everything out and not having any problems. Contrary to what it may seem on the surface, you are not self-sufficient. You're not designed to be. You will never get there. But life in community is what we are designed for. You were designed to have relationships. You have different spheres of relationships. You have work relationships. You have friends. You have family, right? God gives us even this closer-knit community called the church, a people of God. And it seems like on the surface that we hear about Paul so much that he's like this lone wolf, and he's out there, and he's just doing everything, and he never fails, and no, he never has any problems. But if you actually read between the lines when he's talking about all of the problems that he actually has, he just knows that he's got a better priority. And his priority is not himself. His priority is what he's been called to to encourage other people, to belong to this body of believers for the good of all, not for his individual benefit. But the individual benefit does come, but it only comes once we belong more to the community than we belong more to ourselves, And that's a hard reality to grasp. Paul is collecting all of these, um, these names. We, we just kind of read them, we, we gloss over them, but he, he's, he's getting new companions from other places because Paul's not sufficient in himself. He needs other people around him, and he's raising up other leaders. He's raising up new disciples. He's encouraging new members in the church. He's bearing with people that are struggling. He writes about these things all along the way. Paul is, is, is showing us how you uh, belong to the community even when you're in new places, and he's gathering people as he goes. There are companions who are listed from a variety of places, and they're coming together with Paul because the church body is always and constantly growing and in motion. It's dynamic. It's alive. And so some things are growing and maturing. There's new things coming in, and some people are, are struggling and dying. And we're, and we're called to bear with all of that and be part of all of that. Membership is the focus of ministry. Not membership like AARP, pay your dues and get your benefits membership. Membership like a member, meaning a member of your body. That's why the word member gets a little confused for us. Because member for us is something we, we, we can partake in. We, we pay for the rights to uh, the benefits of some particular club. But, but that's not the picture that's drawn when it says you are members of the body. It's calling you the, the, the hands and the feet and the arms and the legs and the eyes and the mouth. Those members are not independent of the body. They don't have a, a particular level of function depending on how they feel that day. Now, no, sometimes you wake up and it feels that way, right? Like it's not working as good as it should, but that's, that's neither here nor there for the idea of it's, if it's essential nature. So membership is the focus of ministry, and ministry is membership. Ministry includes 
the constant cycle, new, mature, and dying off. We are members of one body, and that makes us members not just of the body, but members of one another. So our faith and salvation being in Christ, one spirit, one baptism, one faith, one body, but we take that as the modern church, and we take it and we run it through that Facebook filter, and we make it hyper-individualized, right? And we say, well, I can disconnect from this because I need to spend some me time and focus on me until I get that right, and then I'll reconnect once I'm ready, and then I feel like I can help some other people. But you will never get to that place because your help is here. So when you unplug from that, you unplug from the essential nature of what we're told. Jesus is the head, not just your head. And he's the one that supplies all of the purpose and all of the, 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 the thoughts in the word that guides you. And the spirit is the life and the blood. And you unplug from that, you don't exist. You have no purpose and you have no life. Can an individual part function, or excuse me, can an individual member function apart from the body? You know, the answer is no. Can any part have a purpose without a head? No. Can a limb be sustained separately without blood? No. So Jesus is the church, and the church is Jesus. As, as um, Saul is persecuting members of the way before he's converted, and he's confronted on that road as he's going to kill some more members of, to, to, to round him up and gather away. Remember, he's confronted by the risen Lord Jesus, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my friends? No. Saul, why are you persecuting these guys that are, that are doing good things? No. He says, why are you persecuting me? Me, I am the church. He, he identifies you with himself. Jesus is the church, and the church is Jesus, and we are called his body. So we are his own. So with that being said, Paul's focus is ministry, encouragement, bringing new believers in, encouraging, maturing believers, giving them the, the words of God to encourage them forward in the faith. And he's doing it by being there, not just by speaking it, not just by saying, attaboy, guys, you can, you can get there. I promise you'll, you'll, you'll be able to do it if you just, no, he, he comes alongside and he, he bears with them. So. Let's continue now in verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week. Some of you don't know this. On the first day of the week, that's, that's Sunday. So we, we think of um, sun, Sunday as the last day of the week. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. And it says, when we, that we tells you that Luke has now rejoined the party. Luke is the author of Acts. And now he's part of the traveling team again. He's, he's been missing for a while, but he's rejoined now. And he says, when we were gathered together. That's where we started in Hebrews. Don't, don't neglect your communion, don't neglect coming together. Why? So that we can encourage. Well, they're gathered to break bread. That is to celebrate a, a love feast and communion. They're, they're going to gather and celebrate the Lord's Supper and, and gather as the body of believers. And it says, Paul talked with them. That's the church that's in, remember, he, he's in uh, Macedonia. And uh, he, he prolonged his speech until midnight. That's a long time, guys. That's a long message. You're welcome. I'll just leave that up for a bit, okay? Okay, he prolonged his speech till midnight, and now it's going to give us some details about what's going on. So there are many lamps that were, were, were lit in the upper room where we were gathered. And this word for upper room is, is the same room that happened at Pentecost. And it, so, so the idea here is like, it, it's a prayer room. It's where the church had typically gathered. And there's so many people there, and he's gone so late in the night that they've lit all these lamps, and so the environment sort of becomes stifling. And it says, a young man named Eutychus. Um, what you need to know is this, this is like a technical word for young man. And so he, he's probably somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12. So like uh, uh, 
a preteen, if you will. And, and so he, he's this age, he's gathered with the body, he's part of the communion, he's included in this gathering, and, and says, um, oh, and you should also know him, his name means fortunate or lucky, okay? So that's interesting because here's what's about to happen. And he's sitting at the window because it's kind of stifling in this upper room, and he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. You guys don't know what this is like, but sometimes people fall asleep in church. This happened, this happened to Eutychus. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down. That shouldn't be that funny, but guys, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. Okay, he's sang into a deep sleep, and Paul's talked still longer. So Luke gets a little jab in, because he's already talked till midnight. And so there's something like probably a six-hour message here. And he falls asleep, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story, and he was taken out dead. So here's the idea. He, he fell out of this window. He was just trying to get a breath of fresh air, if you will. And the word there, taken up, is because they had to all run down three floors, and they pick him up, and he's dead. Luke is now part of this, and if you don't know, Luke is a doctor. So this is like verified dead. It's not like he's sleeping dead. He's dead dead, and he's taken up dead. And it says, but Paul went down, and he bent over him. And taking him in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. That word for life there is not the word bios, which means like living. It's not, it's not his life, as in his heart's beating and his brain's functioning. The word is suke, as his soul is still in him. And it's not that it was still in him, it's that it's returned to him. So we'll get to that in just a second. It says, don't be alarmed because it, his, his life is still in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he converses them a little while longer until daybreak. Paul goes all day and all night. That's uh, probably some records, okay? And, and so um, he's after Eutychus is restored to life, they go and they share communion together. He, 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 they go, and then it says, and they took the youth away alive, and they were not a little, and that word comforted there is again encouraged. It says they were not, they were not small encouraged, they were big encouraged. That's, that's the end point of this. And so this is exactly what Paul's been after. So the intent of this gathering is not just coming together, but being together. It is our being together. It's their communion. They're celebrating this in the Lord's Supper with this guy, Paul, who, who came and he planted this church and he's got the words of God and he's sharing with them. And so every purpose of, uh, of the church cannot be realized in a single, in a single gathering. Like, you, you, you can see this. Like, the, why, why did Paul prolong his speech so long? Because he desperately, he, he planned to leave the next day, and he wanted to give them just as much as he possibly could. He was going to invest every ounce of his energy and time and thinking that he possibly could give them before he parted ways. Because Paul is on his, his death trip, if you will. He knows, it's been told to him by the Spirit, that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to die. We're, we'll get into that next week. And so he knows that this is the last time he's going to say anything to this church, and so he's giving them all he can. But what we see here is this window, uh, it, it only fits so much stuff in it right? And so every purpose of the church can't be realized in a single time, in a single place, and all at once. Even though I've tried to preach the whole Bible in, in 40 minutes, I, it doesn't work, right? And, and, and so we need to realize that this, half, this hour and a half time slot on Sunday morning is not the church. It's an essential part of the church, but it's not the entire, the entirety, right? It's not the entirety of our gathering. It's not the entirety of our communion, but it isn't an essential part of it. And that's why Paul is so intent on giving them the word in this moment and so much of it. Paul's goal has been encouragement. So uh, we, we talked about this before because um, when Paul was teamed up with Barnabas, 
Paul's, Paul's main, main goal, main function was to be this apostolic authority, carrying the word to the Gentiles, and he was teamed with Barnabas, who was called the son of encouragement. This is his spiritual gift. And the word there is parakaleo. It's a, it's a compound word, two words. Para means alongside, and kaleo means to call out, okay? Alongside, to call out. That's what the word encouragement means. It's the same word that's used. So, so that's like um, the, there's a gift of encouragement, so you have the ability to come alongside people and call them forward. That's, that's what Barnabas does. But it's the same word that's used of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, I have to go. I'm going to leave this world in bodily form, but I will give you another. And that word for another means one of the same kind. And he says, I, if I don't leave, the comforter won't come. And that word comforter is the parakletos. That's the one who comes alongside to bring us forward. So the function of the Holy Spirit is the same word as the encouragement that we're supposed to do in this gathering. Okay, are you, are you putting some pieces together here? The function of the Holy Spirit is to put us together and then filled with the Holy Spirit, we do what the Holy Spirit does, which is to gather around with one another and to call one another forward in this walk of faith. When your life's falling apart and when my life's falling apart, our communion is essential. So Paul is coming, and it's not just to come alongside with them. And it's not just to call out, right? It's parakaleo. It's to come alongside and to call out. It, you can just come with somebody, but that's not always beneficial. You, you could come alongside somebody and be a detriment. If you don't know what that looks like, read the book of Job. Job's wife and his friends, they, they came alongside. They sat with him in his mourning and in his destruction, but their words were terrible, and they just drug Job down. So you can have people that come alongside with you that aren't helpful. But if their words in coming alongside are driven by truth and goodness and filled with the Spirit, that's why these things need to be both and. And it's not just the words without the coming alongside. Because sometimes that's empty and it's hypocritical. James says it's, it's actually worthless. If I say to you, hey, be hungry and warm and... Or be hungry. <laughs> be, be warm and well-fed. You're hungry. And I say, hey, be warm and well-fed but I don't do anything. There's no action behind that. He says that's empty. It's a platitude. So you see that the coming alongside and the, and, the, and the speaking and the calling out have to be together. They have to be one and the same. You need both. Sorry, I got animated and lost my spot. Okay. So we're going to talk then just zooming in onto encouragement. Encouragement comes and I want to focus on three aspects. One is it comes outside of ourselves. It comes from outside of us, okay? Two is it comes from a, a, a plurality. It has to be in communion with other people. It's not just you, you yourself and you doing things to encourage yourself. And it comes face to face, okay? So, so those three things. So let's talk about the first one. It has to come outside of you. It is a dry well for you to feel discouraged, and then start looking into your heart and into your life for things to encourage yourself. You're already in the spot of discouragement. You're there for a reason. It's not because things were so encouraging you overlooked them, right? Stuff's not going well. And if you look deeper inside yourself to try and get better, you're looking to a dry well. So just looking to yourself in yourself while you're living in this isolated existence, trying to fix things, is not going to be the ticket. It takes two to, to tango if you want to talk about it that way. If you're hurt and broken and you have this realization and then you begin 
to look to yourself and you realize that's also empty. So then you decide, I will look to other people. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll find somebody to help me encourage myself or, or to get me through this or to bring me along in this. But you start looking to other people who are only looking to themselves. That's also a problem. You have to, you have to be encouraged by people that are also in it for you, right? If you just go to Facebook and you look for encouragement from people that are only focused on themselves, you're not going to find it there. So it's not going to come from within you, and it's not going to come from within people who are only focused on themselves. It has to come from other people who are also focused on you. So there's an outward-facing necessary aspect. Everyone is looking down at their own life. Remember, they're all trying to fix this problem, so they get to this point where then once everything's right, then I'll help other people. Well, that's problematic when you're looking for encouragement. So it comes not from ourselves, but it comes from outside of ourselves. But it also comes from a community and a plural community. People are already looking to this. Like, they know that um, they're not enough. Like, if you're you're feeling down and and so you start looking to other things, that's why people go on Facebook. to, To either, usually not to encourage themselves, probably to encourage themselves because somebody else's life is worse off than theirs, right? They go there to feel better about themselves by, by hopefully um, leveling down somebody else so they just don't feel as bad about where, where they are. So isolated community is, is not the way to go, but communion, com, uh, communal community, if I could say that, is what we're supposed to look for. So th- that, that para aspect, or to come alongside, is necessary, right? It, it points to the fact that we need more than we need more than ourselves. We need other people to gather around us, but not people who are just pulling their own direction, but people that also want to pull the same direction that we're pulling, or at least have the same goal that we have, right? And the same convictions and the same purposes that we have. That's why the church community is importantly focused on one head and one purpose. That's Christ. So He unites us. We don't have to worry about people pulling a, a different direction than us. Well, then we have this kaleo. So the encouragement is not just shouting positive vibes at people, right? Get out there and win one for the Gipper. When was the last time you heard that, by the way? For the Gipper. So it's not an aimless boost of sunshine. It's not just, hey, you'll get through there. It's not that. Encouragement means to come alongside with the purpose of calling towards something. If someone is drowning and you offer them truth, true truths, hey, if you continue to to, to not swim, you're going you're gonna to die. That's a true statement. Is that helpful? No. So true things shouted at somebody in need is not all that helpful. It's not all that useful, right? It has to be truth that's applied and, and also given and, and where, where needed, given for in place of somebody. Like you can't just tell people to get better. Sometimes you have to strive with them in their, in their suffering, in their problems. Now, here's where the face-to-face aspect becomes so important because you can like you can intervene and interfere in somebody's life and say hey I'm 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 in this with you but you really got to clean this up like that's a problem bro right is that helpful no it might be truthful but it's not helpful if you encourage somebody you get involved in their situation and that's exactly what Paul does Eutychus falls out the window he's dead Paul goes down and he he does something and what's not conveyed in the translation unfortunately is he does what happens in the Old Testament. Two prophets do the same thing by, to resurrect um, somebody, and it's this. He lays down face to face. He gets in this very intimate communion with this boy who's dead. And he, 
either prays for him or, or asks God for mercy or whatever it does, and that's the moment that Eutychus's life is restored. It's face-to-face communion that's actually going to help somebody out. Paul shouting from the third floor, that's unfortunate. I bet it was the impact. Right? That's not helpful. It's true. It's when he goes down, and he, he probably laid his body on him, and he, 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 his, his, his life is restored to him. It's face-to-face, intimate relationship. So this draws this all together. That's the three aspects, right? It comes from without. It has to be in a plurality. And it comes from real, true, like intimacy and getting involved in people's lives. And where they can't help themselves, you are the one that stands in the gap. Not because you're so great, but because the Holy Spirit in you does it. Right? Because Christ provides what's needed where you lack. So your ministry and my ministry is membership. And membership is our ministry. So when we tell ourselves, well, I'll only engage as much as I feel or as much energy as I have or as, or as good as I feel that I can give to other people, which now I'm going to go back to the very first question I asked. And I said, if you took like stock of what's going on in your heart and your life right now and you're running it through that filter of faith and most of you are not running anything through the filter of faith except for the thing that's collapsing. Except for the problem is if you were engaged in all of the ways whether it's good or bad, then you're there when somebody else needs your good for their bad. But if you only engage at the moment where your crisis is, then we've got a bunch of people who are all looking to pull out and nobody investing in. Does that make sense? You can't, you can't say, well, I'll, I'll offer only, what's, only the oil that's on my dipstick, like whatever's left over there, right? You're already empty. You've got nothing to offer. So we come here and we're filled with more of what we need because the Holy Spirit fills us and our communion together builds us up and hearing God's word encourages us and it tells us what the right thing to do is, right? So that's why we're to not neglect this gathering and this communion that we're put together. And once this face-to-face intimate relationship, if you want to look at the, the big picture, I'm not trying to make it too allegorical or metaphorical, he really is restored to life. But if you look at the picture, when true communion happens and face-to-face intimate relationships and, and the Spirit breathes life into people, then we can have communion. They celebrate communion. They, that's when they break the bread, once Eutychus is restored to life. And after all of that, after Paul's long-winded message, and this, this person is restored to life, this young man, right? They get to gather together, and they hear him talk even longer, and they all leave there not little encouraged, but big encouraged. And that comes by engaging in this Communion. So, here's, I'm going to end with this encouragement. Encouragement is different at different seasons in our lives, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to require different times and different things at different times because sometimes it's just we're, we're bent and sometimes we're broken. Sometimes we need much more than at other times. But if we're always constantly engaged, then the up and down isn't so severe, In 1 Peter 2.4, it says this, that we come to him, that's Christ, as we come to him, the living stone that's rejected by men, but it's chosen and precious in God's sight. We, we come to Christ, and he's, what Paul said, he's the foundation. Like, if you build it on anything else, it's going gonna, it's gonna to collapse. But the stuff that you're putting on top of that foundation, it, like, it matters. Like, you can invest worthless things that won't last, investing in you, looking at you, fixing you, 
or you can invest in the community of faith. These are the precious jewels, gold and silver, and fine things, the things that last into eternity. He says, we come to Christ, and he's this living stone, and we can build our lives on him. And everybody else, he's rejected by men, because everybody else in the world doesn't think that they need to build their life on this living stone. But he says, we come to him, and we see it for what it is, and when we build our life on that, we also like living stones, not dead stones, not, not you're put in place, and then you're iced there forever and ever, never moving, stationary. You're alive, because you're part of the moving, leaving, breathing temple of God. We, we come and we trust in the thing that everyone else rejects because then we will, like living stones, be built into a spiritual house. We're put together to be this temple of God that the Holy Spirit resides in and that we have a holy priesthood and Jesus Christ is the, the, the high priest of that. And we do this, and when we do this, we offer, it's as spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And just to bring that all the way back around, this is your spiritual sacrifice, to live for God. Next week, the question isn't what big sacrifice will you make for God. God doesn't want to know what death will you die for me. It's will you live for me. Will your living be for me? Are you building all that you can, investing all that you can, every opportunity, every moment, not just for your good, but for the good of the body. Let me pray for us. Let me tell you what we'll do for communion during this next song. We'll distribute the elements. And then I'll, uh, I'll lead us in, in taking those in uh, communion this morning. I want you to, to put your mind on this reality that what we trust in is not what we see. but what we know to be true. And what we hope for is that face-to-face -face on the day that discloses all things, that we will not be shrinking away, but we'll be encouraged for what we invested our time and our lives in.